0: Hi everybody, this is Alana with the Dealing with Donor Conception podcast. Today is episode four, and it's an extension of last week's episode on the big five reasons to oppose third-party reproduction. And today we're going to talk about eugenics. So there's out of the five, I chose eugenics as the second one. We've got broken kinship bonds, eugenics, abortion serious health risks, and human trafficking. And most people think that third-party reproduction is just a really benign and cool new way of creating babies, and babies are nice and cute and good, um, and they'll never grow up to be Sad or have issues or angry or criminals or murderers or rapists or anything like that because babies are great. Um, but, but I want to inform you and educate you about how the fertility industry actually works out, how these arrangements actually play out, um, because we can't really understand if something's good or not until we understand um, what the results are. So just like you don't know if a business venture is good until you see it in action and see the consequences of, you don't know if capitalism is better than socialism until you see how the two play out. You don't know anything about it until you see how it plays out. And if you're paying attention, um, you will realize that what may have appeared to be a good idea with reproductive technologies might not be playing out to be the answer we were all hoping for. So let me share with you a bit about the history of third-party reproduction. So um, the history of it it is actually steeped in deception and eugenics. So the first sperm donation recorded was was done in Philadelphia in the 1880s, and there was an OB-GYN teacher, a medical professor, who had an infertility client, or it was a couple who were struggling to conceive, and so he came up with this brilliant idea, which was inspired by the farming industry of um, artificial insemination with pigs and cows and, and agriculture. Um... And he was going to impregnate this woman through artificial insemination. And apparently her husband knew what was going to transpire, but she did not. So this woman was under the impression that she was going to receive, become pregnant by her husband's genetic material. But actually what happened was they put her under anesthesia, and they propped her up in the middle of a classroom with... I don't know the exact number, but it was a classroom full of male medical students. And the students voted on who was the best looking classmate of theirs. And they enticed this young man, who got all sorts of props and accolades for his, you know, superlative, to go masturbate, collect his semen, and they artificially inseminated this woman uh, without informed consent in front of a group of strange men. And that was the first sperm donation. The first sperm bank was called the Repository for Germinal Choice. It was nicknamed the Genius Sperm Bank, and their mission was to make the world a better place by having as many men as possible, uh, uh, by having the smartest men in the world abandon as many of their children as possible through sperm donation. And they thought, this is how we're going to improve the gene pool. Um, We need to, during this point in time, 20s, 30s in America, they were, they had forced sterilization programs, and some of the early donor-conceived people that you meet or the older ones, the older generation, their, their fathers, their social fathers, you know, their dads that raised them, were sterilized by the state because they were deemed to be imbeciles. So the state, whoever these people were, the elite, the, the lawmakers, somebody deemed them to be unworthy of reproduction, and so they were forced to sterilize themselves. And so this was happening in America. And at the same time, we had the the repository for germinal choice, which took the, you know, best and brightest, according to who I don't know some some professor somewhere, I guess, um, who who selected men who were above average in worthiness of reproduction. And this is where the the first sperm bank originated from. It was a declared eugenics enterprise. It Very clearly stated that that's, those are the organizations they were a part of. That was the philo- philosophy that they signed on to. And so that's the history of third-party reproduction in America. Um, today, you know, this is common. Eugenics is common. We've, it's really common for a commissioning parent to select for ethnicity, age, hair, eye color, height, weight, education, occupation, health history. And and if they do IVF, meaning if they create several embryos outside of the body with egg harvesting and um fertilization outside the womb then what they do is they take they, they they look at the different embryos that were created and then they only take what they declare to be the best of those embryos so they throw away the you know anyone that's maybe it's not the right gender for them maybe it's not the right eye color that they wanted maybe it has an extra chromosome somewhere or something like that that they don't determine to be determined to be worthy, and the others are discarded. Um, and actually today, um, even if, you know, quote-unquote good embryos are implanted, if something happens during gestation, unwanted fetuses are routinely aborted. So if if a baby is not growing correctly, or it has, it, it grows and it, has a heart anomaly, or there's an arm that's not growing properly. Um, Abortion is routinely used as a eugenic therapy to only, so that only the good ones are born. So this is, in a way, you know, the children are treated as commodities, and we have designer babies. Um, and today, we, there's actually a technology called CRISPR. C-R-I-S-P-R. And it's gene editing technology. This is the uh, expansion of an acceptance of third-party reproduction. So the next step, which we're now uh, pursuing in the scientific community, is gene editing. And in China, there have been twin girls that have been born through edited genetics. They go in and they, they... create designer babies very literally and so children are already being born this way and um, it's so that the child fits the expectations and and wants of the parent which brings me up to um, there's a tv show in the uk called the parent makers and it's a the the couple it's a gay couple that created this tv show uh the druid barlows i think barry druid barlow is one of the main show hosts and it's this gay couple who they have five children through surrogacy and egg donation and now they have their own surrogacy agency where they make boatloads of money doing surrogacy and egg donation for other individuals or couples And in the trailer for the show, it's really interesting. For the trailer of the show, they have a teenage son who is as handsome as handsome could be. And they're in front of this horse stable. So just clearly, like, these people have money. They've got horses. And there's this big mansion in the background. And they're very good-looking. Son tells his dad, um, well, let me say what his dad says first. His dad says, I paid for a gorgeous, blue-eyed, blonde child with straight hair. And his super handsome, like perfect as far as I can tell son, has to defend his existence and the way he looks. And he says, well, I am gorgeous and I do have blonde hair, but it's curly and the the dad responds again he says yeah but i paid for a straight-haired child and this poor boy has to defend himself for having curly hair and it's as if he was a mistake as if he was a mistake i'll tell you another story i have a friend who who is donor conceived and she did she got some great notoriety um, for her heroic effort to find her biological father, um, who was a Baylor Medical School graduate. And she wrote like something like 500 letters to different Baylor Medical School graduates trying to find out who her donor father was. And she, she actually had a brother who was conceived by the same donor father, but she wasn't raised with her brother. And the reason she wasn't raised with her brother is because when he was born, he had Down syndrome, and they discovered it when he was born. So even though they had gone through all the trouble of hiring a sperm donor and having this very wanted baby, um, it wasn't the, he wasn't what they wanted. He wasn't what they wanted. So they put him up for adoption. And a lot of people say this, oh, but with donor conception, the child's so wanted. How can you be against it? Every child should be wanted like donor conceived people are wanted. And the reality of it is that we're not wanted unconditionally. We're like if anything else you pay for, if you pay for a car, if you pay for a freaking ice cream cone and you don't get the flavor of ice cream that you wanted, what do you have the right to do? You have the right to your money back. You have the right to a replacement. You know, you could some people throw it in the face of the manager if they don't get the product they want. So, but what happens when the when a human being becomes the product? What happens when it when you don't get the product you want? What do you get to do? Do you get your money back? Cuz I've actually heard Mothers, I've been on message boards where mothers say, "Um, "Excuse me, does anybody know how I can get a refund? My donor child is um, has medical issues, and I didn't want this." There's wrongful birth lawsuits happening, like more often than you think. You know, a a child is born healthy, but maybe they use the wrong sperm, so it's a different race, or has a, a medical issue of some sort, and the parents say, "Well, this isn't." what I paid for. I want my money back. Or they give it up for adoption. And I came out with blue eyes and blonde hair and healthy, and I had all ten fingers and all ten toes, and I was kept, but it is with me. I'm very aware of the fact that I could have been discarded, given up for adoption, Or just not loved if I had come out any other way. So I ask you now, do we want eugenics? Do we want reproductive technologies to behave in this way? Because the, the if you really look at the industry, this is how it operates. It's based in eugenics. It's based in deception. It's essentially based in rape um by the way there's i mean there's a new tv series out called almost family and there's a lot of donor conceived people who who turns out their sperm donor father is actually the doctor that their family went to and those were cases of rape um and i'll talk to it wasn't physical rape but um I'll explain more about that in future episodes, about the new um, changes in sexual assault laws that are coming about because of abuse of power um, from male fertility doctors onto their patients. But this is the history and this is the reality of third-party reproduction in America today. Hopefully it was a good history lesson for you. Um, Next week we're going to be discussing uh, the abortion aspect of third-party reproduction and the the big five reasons we should be against it. So we went through broken kinship bonds. Today we did eugenics. Next week it'll be abortion. And then we'll go through human trafficking and serious health risks. Um, But for now, meditate on what you just heard. Um, Visit anonymousus.org, which is a story collective uh, for donor-conceived people and parents and egg and sperm donors and surrogates and anybody whose life has been affected by third-party reproduction so check out those stories for now this is it uh thanks i'm alana this is the dealing with donor conception podcast